This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. What was the crime that brought you here? You murder, were- robbery, burglary. I was involved in the murder of two men. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and this is my life of crime. We're about to take a journey to the end of the road. Well, the end of the road for some. I'm at the Bedford Hills Correctional Facility. It's the only maximum security prison for women in the state of New York. And to wind up here, you have to do something pretty heinous. And it's been home to a lot of rather infamous women. There's Joyce Mitchell. Two weeks after the prison escape, it remains unclear if authorities are any closer to catching the convicted killers. She helped two men escape from the maximum security prison in Dannemora, New York in 2015. And now she's the one in prison here in Bedford Hills. And then, of course, there was Amy Fisher, better known perhaps as the Long Island Lolita. I went to hit her again and the gun went off. Fisher was just 17 when she shot the wife of her body shop boyfriend, Joey Buttafuoco. I love to say that name, Joey Buttafuoco. The wife survived, and for a while, Fisher ended up here at Bedford Hills. I got CBS. And now, we're going inside Bedford Hills as well. And as you're here, there's still some pretty interesting women in here. And I have a bet. Life here isn't exactly what you expect. The prison has been in operation for nearly a century now. And I count at least six sets of locked doors before we finally reach our destination. 
And that's a nondescript low-rise building that houses the classrooms. We're here because we've been allowed in for the Wednesday night songwriting workshop for prisoners. It's run by a nonprofit called Rehabilitation Through the Arts, or RTA for short. We meet Michael Menard and Phyllis Ross inside a small classroom. They're a married couple, and they're the volunteer instructors. They're going to spend the next two hours teaching inmates the art of songwriting using electronic keyboards, but not just any keyboards. These are unique instruments. You could call them prison-proof, stripped of the usual sound effects. Michael Menard explains. In, um, in uh, a keyboard, there are sounds that are absolutely objectionable in a maximum security setting. For instance, because they're gunshots. It took me months to find a keyboard that didn't have any of these additional sounds. It's 7 p.m., just about almost exactly 7 p.m., 12 women, all dressed in some version of the prison's dark green uniform, file in. They're all lugging their prison-issued keyboards in these large rectangle cloth bags. There's excited chatter as they settle into their seats in the small classroom. Tonight we're going to be working on um, your individual songs for a great deal of the time. And... uh, I think you're going to find that interesting. Outside the classroom, it's very risky for an inmate to share any kind of personal feelings, any kind of personal information. The keyboards play a much bigger part than just mere instruments. So I'm just curious, do you have a name for your keyboard? Jimmy. I knew it. I knew it. (laughs) Jimmy? Oh, my God. So does everybody have a name for their keyboard? Okay, so my keyboard is called my boyfriend. (laughs) And he's always there. He's yep. always there. Yep. <laughs> and he responds anytime you touch him. Okay, hello. And he answers. Please remember as many of the lyrics as you can. Michael is a professional composer. It's all about taking a major triad and turning it into minor triads. He used to create music for Sesame Street's Muppets. Now his and many other songs are used to uplift prison inmates. You are, you are. The woman you're hearing right now, that's Kim Brown. This class means everything to her. In fact, she describes this time in the class as her only, and I'm quoting, legal way to escape. really not supposed to say, you know, escape is like a taboo word here, but it's really an escape from the daily prison life. Initially, I find it hard to believe that Kim is actually an inmate here. She's a middle-aged woman with such a warm, engaging smile. We've been told she's been here for decades. You, You must be really feeling the years. Like, I noticed that you were reading your music using glasses. Bifocals, yeah. Bifocals. Bifocals. That's new? That's, I got bifocals for my 50th birthday. 
and hearing aids for my 52nd birthday. And you're how old now? I'm 52, and I came in when I was 27. March 29th made 25 years that I've been incarcerated. It was the anniversary of my crime. The guards let us talk privately in a classroom that's right next door. And quickly, the conversation gets a little uncomfortable. As I mentioned, no one gets into Bedford without a really good reason. And this is Kim's. You shot shot and killed two people, yes. I shot and killed two people, yes. And that's a hard pillow to sleep on at night. Yes. And nothing I can do can undo it. Yes. One of the people you shot was your piano teacher. You don't think about this every time you go in this class? No. I can't. It was in March of 1994. Local news described then how a member of a church choir and the choir's director were both shot to death in a Queens, New York neighborhood. This is New York's Channel 2. He's a very, very quiet guy, always kept to himself. And so when you heard what happened there last night... Everybody was shocked. The whole block was shocked. Everybody, because we just couldn't believe it. Nobody, because he's not that kind of guy. That guy was not just the choir director and not just Kim Brown's piano teacher... He was also her much older boyfriend. According to news reports at the time, when Kim suspected that he was cheating on her with a member of his choir, she confronted them about the affair. Kim then pulled out a 38 and shot both of them in the head. It was over in seconds. And it's not so easy, even after all these years later, for her to talk about it now. It's difficult to believe that I could do something that horrible and I can't excuse it and I've never tried to excuse it. I called the police myself and I waited for them to come with a gun in my hand and the only call that was made to 911 that night about that incident was the one that I made. Now, considering that Kim killed her last piano teacher, you might think that her current teacher might have some concerns. Are you ever nervous, Phyllis? I mean, you know some About of these... Them? Well, no. some of these women are killers. Oh, most of the women in our room. I'm, no, I'm not nervous. Phyllis Ross says, these women, they may be inmates, but they are just students to her. No, you know, I wouldn't call them killers. They've committed a crime. And in most cases, it was a single crime. The woman you're listening to now, the one singing, that's Eva Demolina. Now she pronounces her name Eva, but it's actually spelled like Ivy, which explains why back in the mid 1990s, a headline in the New York Daily News referred to her as Poison Ivy. But I'll get to that in a minute. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life 
a good one. In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. First, I was just curious about how long EVA had actually been here in Bedford Hills. Going on 25 years. Oh my gosh, you've got to be one of the people who've been here the longest. Mm -hmm. 94. EVA is a tiny, slim woman with huge, expressive eyes and very short, cropped hair. And have you always worn your hair that cropped, that short? No, I had very, very long hair. Um, And I recently cut it a couple of months ago. When I ask EVA why she suddenly cut her hair so short, the topic of her husband came up. He's a man, a Canadian, whom she met on a prison pen pal website. You know, I don't mean to ask this disrespectfully, but why would a man marry a woman in prison? He's outside. I mean, so he wanted to marry you? Yep. And, I mean, and you clearly wanted to marry him? And I actually asked him, and I fell head over heels. It was like a head over heel. Now, here's the part that surprises me. You weren't just married. You could actually have conjugal visits. Every six weeks. We were on conjugal visits every six weeks for the past eight years. Seven years. And where are you? Where do you, when you... There's a trailer site. So there's actually a trailer? There's a trailer site. It's got high fences with barbed wire enclosed. The trailers are decent and he was impressed. He was like, wow. How this big is... is this trailer? It has two rooms. One has a, a full-size bed. There's another room that has two twin-size beds. Conjugal visits are special privileges, and it's a luxury in a place where luxuries are scarce. And, and what do you guys do when you're in these visits? I mean, when you're talking about this honeymoon, it's almost a week. You cook for it? There's, there's a full kitchen, an oven, and we don't have ovens on our units, so we use the oven. There's a barbecue. You can use the barbecue. There's a little path that we would take walks on. There's a TV. There's um, DVDs that you could order, sp- specific movies or request movies off of a list, like which ones do you want to watch. EVM shopped. I mean, aren't mm-hmm. some of your, aren't the other inmates here a little jealous? I mean, you get to escape your having a relationship with a husband and you get to cook for him and you get to walk with him and you get to watch movies without other inmates complaining? Well, if there was any envy, it's gone now because he's been gone for almost 10 months. Tell me what happened. He obtained his American citizenship May 4th and from that moment on to June 29th, red flags started going up. It was during a phone call on that day last year that she says he breaks terrible news to her. And this day he says, the first thing, I said hi, and he says um, listen, I make up my mind very easily and very quickly. I will not be showing up for our trailer tomorrow. As a matter of fact, I will never be going back there again. Click. He hung up on me and I got a dial tone. And that was the last time I spoke to my husband. What went through your mind? 
You just wanted your American citizenship? Were you used, EVA? Were that makes used? me feel used to, to think that this man had absolutely no conscience of pretending to be who he was not. It's just mind-boggling. So now, EVA writes songs about heartache, although she knows that a lot of people who learn about her story might think she had it coming. It was the spring of 1995. The Daily News ran a headline, The Poison Ivy Gang. And there there was a picture of a younger EVA flashing $100 bills. Because back then, she was working as a prostitute. Murder, robbery, burglary. I was involved in the murder of two men. EVA was a prostitute and also the ringleader of a gang that robbed and beat some of her clients. According to the cops who arrested her, EVA thought she had, and I quote, a foolproof get-rich scheme since those Johns would avoid the cops like the plague. But things got out of hand and two of the men wound up dead, each in a shockingly brutal manner. One stabbed and bludgeoned, the other strangled with an electrical cord tied to a doorknob. It's hard to read the story of the crime, and even harder to believe that the woman sitting in front of me was responsible. I am attached to a profound daily remorse, regret, like the pain, the, and I'm going to live with that for the rest of my life. We go back to the class where Michael, the instructor, is now up at the blackboard. If you went, if you go then to that F. Phyllis is helping one of the women get the right fingering on her keyboard. Yes, now go back up to that F and go back to the C minor. Later, Michael admits that we, and all of you, know more about his students than he and Phyllis do. Because, to be honest, they don't even want to know anything about the crimes that brought their students here. It's not helpful because for us, for Phyllis and me, we want to experience them right now. We don't feel that they should be uh, defined or um, by that very bad decision. And we don't think that that's the entirety of who they are. We're trying to help them get in touch with who they are mm -hmm. next to that, to remember who they are underneath the goodness inside them. And then, suddenly, one of the women comes up to me. I look familiar to her from my work on 48 Hours. And she looks very familiar to me. Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. I'm Erin Moriarty. I know you are. How and are you? Pamela Smart. Yes. How are you doing? I was very surprised to find out you were here. Oh, in this prison or in this class? Yeah. Oh, well, both. Both. Oh, no, I've been in Pamela Smart. Is the name finally ringing a bell? If not, let me take you back to 1991. Before O.J. Simpson, before the Menendez brothers, Court TV had just been created. And that was the first time that you could watch courtroom dramas gavel to gavel live in the comfort of your own living room. And one of the first real-time murder trials was Pamela Smart's. 
CBS Evening News reported on the verdict that year. Friends knew her as a happily married high school teacher, but Pamela Smart was in court today as the star of a real-life soap opera that combined obsessive love, illicit sex, and murder. The 23-year-old had been on trial for conspiring with three teenagers to kill her husband, Greg. 16-year-old student Bill Flynn described how Pamela Smart seduced him, then persuaded him to commit the murder by threatening to end their affair if he didn't. I pointed the gun at his head. I said, um, God, forgive me. I pulled the trigger. It took the jury 13 hours to decide whether Pamela Smart was telling the truth. How say you? Is the defendant guilty or not guilty of the offense charge? Guilty. On the jury's verdict of guilty, I am required and do hereby sentence you to the New Hampshire State Prison for Women for the remainder of your life without the possibility of parole. Smart was convicted in New Hampshire, but was later transferred to New York. And now she's serving out her sentence, life without parole, at Bedford Hills. And as you might imagine, her story of how she got here doesn't quite match the official version. It's true that I was 22 years old. It is true that I was married. Um, my husband had an affair. And I was devastated by that, and I was feeling really low. My self-esteem was horrible. And then I met Bill Flynn, who was 16 at the time, and I didn't intend to. I didn't try to seduce him or anything like that, but we ended up developing a relationship that was completely wrong. I did know better. I shouldn't have gotten involved in that relationship, but I did. And, and he killed your husband? And he killed my husband, yes. But I never asked him to kill my husband. I never wanted him to kill my husband. And the jury didn't believe the that. The jury though. didn't believe that. So I was convicted and I was sentenced to life in prison. And what about Billy Flynn? He's out. He's free. They're all free. All him and his friends, they're all out. And how do you feel about that? I feel angry that the people that murdered my husband in cold blood when he was the innocent victim in his story and you know they're walking free i got sent to a maximum security prison for women in new york i got life you know they're free so i've been in new york been incarcerated for almost 29 years and i've been in new york for 25 and a half pamela how old are you now i'm 51. so you've actually spent more time in prison than you have Outside. Yes, I was 22 years old when this happened. So um, I lost my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, and now I'm in my 50s. When I first got here, I was sent to solitary confinement. I was beat up. I had a rough way to go. When you say you were beaten up, you were really beaten up, weren't you? I was you? beaten up badly, and I had to have a um, I had to have plastic surgery where they cut my face open and pulled my face back and put a plastic plate in my face because they broke the bone in my um, cheekbone. Oh, well, it's the orbital socket, and so I can't feel anything on the left side of my face for the rest of my life. After being injured by fellow inmates, Smart caught on quickly. She survived and even thrived here. She's become the queen bee of Bedford Hills and she looks it. She's decked out in pink sneakers below those prison green pants, and she's wearing bling, lots of gold jewelry. There's not a blonde hair out of place. 
try to still keep my girly self up, <laughs> you know, I mean, I try because I feel like if I don't care about the outside, I'm not going to care about the inside anymore. You don't want to die here, do you? I don't want to die here. No, I don't. And I would like to be able to go home and take care of my parents to live a life. I have dreams and aspirations for myself, but mainly I want to be able to be with my family. I've been away from them for so long. When you're singing, the only time you're really not thinking about Pamela Smart and where Pamela Smart is. It's an escape from this place more so than an escape from all of the garbage that goes around my, myself, my name, and all of that. It's more of an escape from the drudgery of incarceration, the, you know, day-to-day -day routine that can be stifling and very oppressive all the time. So Smart and I return to the class, which is, by now drawing to a close. All the women have come together in this large circle, and Michael is at the keyboards. Come on. We're gonna do the amazing drink play. This little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. It's no wonder that even though their music class is finished for the evening and for that week, the women linger for just a few minutes more, singing and clapping their hands. In a few minutes, armed female guards will frisk each of the women and escort them back to the cells. But by that time, I'm on the outside of the barbed wire gates. I'm beyond the side of the prison. I'm in a car, heading home with the women still on my mind. I'm Erin Moriarty, 48 Hours, and that's my life of crime. This podcast series is developed by 48 Hours in partnership with CBS News Radio. Judy Tigard is our executive producer. Nancy Kramer, our executive story editor. Michael Vallee is the series producer-editor. This episode was produced by Luis Geraldo, Jamie Hellman, and Tamara Weitzman. Morgan Canty is our associate producer. Craig Swagler, the vice president and general manager of CBS News Radio. And then Charles E. Pavlunas, the executive vice president of business development and the CFO of CBS News. Special thanks to Rehabilitation Through the Arts and their students for sharing their music. And finally, a shout out to you. We owe it all to you. The millions of fans of 48 Hours here in the U.S. and around the world. Don't forget to join me online. I am at EF Moriarty on Twitter. And we are at 48 Hours on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Tune in to CBS News every Saturday night at 10 p.m. Eastern as we begin, believe it or not, our 33rd season of Crime and Justice original reporting on 48 Hours.
take true crime with you on your shirt, mug, or hat with official 48 Hours merchandise at ParamountShop.com. You can take 20% off with code HOURS20. That's 20% off at checkout on all 48 Hours products with code HOURS20 at ParamountShop.com. Listen to the 48 Hours podcast for shocking murder cases and compelling real-life dramas from one of television's most watched true crime shows. Go behind the scenes of each episode with award-winning CBS News correspondents and producers in Postmortem, a weekly deep dive. Listen to 48 Hours wherever you get your podcasts.